opposite to Trump and you don't have the plan for grassroots social capital building, what have you been doing for the last four years? So we talked about... Hello listeners and welcome to today's episode of Blind Insights. With me today, as usual, is Tim Whiffen sitting to my right. Mm, lovely to be with the audience. And sitting opposite me, Luke is back. Greetings, Luke. How you doing? Good to have you, Luke. Thank you. We're doing well. Are you doing well? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's always great to be here. We're all well because we're not in a well. <laughs> Correct. But if COVID keeps doing it, we'll probably wish you were in a hole in the ground. Mm, yes. Boom, boom. Okay, today's topic, and I don't think I want to make it a long one, I just think it's really important to talk about because the media don't seem to really be getting to the heart of this is the United States looks so divided at the moment. Mm. How do you govern a divided nation is a question that keeps popping in my head. Biden keeps talking about he's going to be for all Americans. It's about healing and bringing everyone together. How do you heal a divided nation? Some nations have been divided for decades, and it's devastating. Lebanon has never really healed from its civil war. Greece has never really healed from being under the colonels in the 70s. It still has borderline fascists, hardcore communists, and if it wasn't for European money, would probably kill each other. <laughs> Cambodia is still a mess from the killing fields. Yeah? Thailand at the moment is having protests about a, a royal family that take a lot of cash and don't do a lot back for the state. Lots of places have old political wounds that just don't go away. America seems to have new political wounds and saying you're going to heal them, yeah, and what does that look like? So I just wanted to consider a bit today how we heal wounds and I wanted to introduce an idea that I think is very important and it's one we will follow up on in an episode in a few weeks' time when we've finished reading Robert Putnam's book, The Upswing, about how essentially equality and inclusion got better in America between the 1890s and 1960s and how a lot of things were lost after that point but how equality and inclusion could be brought back. And so the main idea I want to start with today is really uh, Biden could have access to some amazing people in his cabinet and there's no evidence yet he's going to pick amazing people. He's going to pick party animals like himself. I mean that in the worst way of party animal. I would rather party animals who go yeehaw, swing from the chandeliers, like than party son. animals who've been party animals. Well, maybe he's, a, <laughs> maybe he's going to be a party animal both ways. Right. By the way, it's all a bit blah. Robert Putnam, whose book we're going to talk about in a few weeks, came to Adelaide in 2011. He's an author that talks about social capital. And social capital is what he calls what connects people in a society. With high social capital, people are very connected. The more connected they are, the more things a society can do, the better it runs. He worked out there's two kinds of social capital. There's bridging social capital that allows us to get along with people who are different to us. Bonding social capital means we get along with our group. So some societies in the world have high bonding social capital, which means within the in-group they do a very good job of looking after each other, don't care about anyone else. Within liberal democracies that have embraced multiculturalism, they've all had fairly high levels of social capital pretty much up to the 1990s and then a major decline. When I got to meet Robert Putnam in 2011 
I was telling Robert that I was using social capital to teach how counterinsurgency was working in Iraq and Afghanistan. And Robert got all excited at the time and went, oh, 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 I have to put you in touch with one of my former students. He sort of quit going on to become an academic, to join the US Army, to become an army officer, went as a commander to Iraq twice, applied social capital to counterinsurgency, ended up running the social capital unit within the Pentagon and then being based at Fort Hood, doing pre-deployment training with Yamaha officers, using social capital theory on bridging social capital to help train young officers to better manage counterinsurgency and nation-building type tasks in Afghanistan. And this student of his, Joseph Kopser, is this amazing guy, tons of military experience, amazing education, amazing application of philosophical and political ideas. And it seems to me that what Joseph did in Iraq and Afghanistan, using how to increase bridging social capital to improve the peace or build peace, improve people's lives, is exactly what the US needs. And yet, as we've been sitting here the last few days, watching Biden start to announce which party Muppets are going to be in his cabinet, there's no sign of anyone who has the requisite toolkit, like Robert Putnam or Joseph Kopser, to come in and go, well, how do you govern a divided land? You enhance bridging social capital. And I'm horrified that after four years of Trump, after the minimal things that were delivered under eight years of Obama, that the Democratic Party is still sufficiently mediocre that all it can manage is to give us party hacks rather than people who absolutely believe in progressive politics and a better society, one who's done it as a soldier to help his country and one who got a medal from Obama for probably being the most important intellectual of the last 20 years. So you've got these people available to help you work out how to govern a divided land and you haven't got either of them involved. Now, Robert Putnam's an old guy. Joseph Copps is probably late 40s. Who would you rather have around? I know who I'd rather put in my cabinet. So, gentlemen, that's my rant. <laughs> is, there, is there a country that you could hold up that has been as divided as what the US have and be, have been able to come out the other side? And, good question. And how did they do it? Yeah, that is a good question. Or are we in uncharted territory? Like South Africa back in the past Watch it, That's a years. great example because realistically they're at each other's throat because of an apartheid. And it was bad and okay, it's still dangerous, but it's it's criminal violence, not political violence. Mm. So there we could say that the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of saying, Say what you did so we know what happened. Get it all in the open. And there's been talk about how many countries Truth and Reconciliation Commissions have been really important. Like I think East Timor went through a process like Truth and Reconciliation after they got their independence and became Mia Timor last. Cambodia have certainly tried to have trials of the Khmer Rouge. Their corruption is just so powerful that it almost doesn't seem to matter what they can do about their political past. The problem is the ongoing level of corruption. I suppose if we look at places where you go, you've got different communities who historically have had major problems. So Singapore, you know, historically, Malays, Chinese Singaporeans, Indian Singaporeans, there was a lot of tension there that has all been put to the side saying you're first and foremost Singaporeans. And it's an authoritarian democracy, but it's an authoritarian democracy that is very meritocratic, very inclusive, and gives everyone a way to succeed as part of the system. Having started 
as a place with a lot of tension and a lot of poverty. We've got the example, say, of Sierra Leone, where a young army officer who was involved in his first coup in the 90s as a junior officer, because he thought the government was so bad, I might as well be part of a coup, who ran the second coup because he realised the people who took over were as bad, but fascinatingly, after running the second coup, organised its first successful democratic election, and then walked away from the country, went to America and went to uni. So he could go back one day and stand as a democratic candidate to be president. And is now president, having been part of a coup twice, but after the second coup, having organised a legit election. And helped to construct a legit system in a country riven by factions, gangs, tribes, clans. And yet they just voted for him in a free and fair election, Mm. where the electoral observers said it was one of the best run elections in African history in a country that 20 years ago was a disaster area. You know, still incredibly poor. But even though they're poor, poor didn't diminish their capacity to do democracy well or do an election well. It was quite remarkable. Is it scalable, though? I mean, the population of Sierra Leone is... Yeah. I'm going to say it's... A couple of million. Yeah. It's not but big. It, is, it, is, it, is that scalable to a population of 350 million? I mean, trying to win the hearts and minds of couple of million people is probably far different to getting 350 million on site especially when if biden's in the middle you've got his voice but then you've got the voice from the far left the voice from the far right and the far left and the far right supporters are going to be and they're going to be listening to them first and then you've got the guy in the middle as you're almost trying to de-radicalize a country almost yeah so is what you've said do you need to almost approach it from a counterinsurgency yeah, you, you're on to something here. It is, and this is, in a sense, what Joseph Kopser was doing in Iraq and Afghanistan, training young officers. He was going, how do you create the middle as a legitimate place to be, which is a form of de-radicalisation. You know, bridging social capital is, you're different to me, but if I can get along with you, we get a better world. And what's incredible is, in Sierra Leone, things were bad. Tim Curtis from The Unforgiving 60, I'm pretty sure it was in Sierra Leone that Tim was running security for an election there and a particular gang put out a price on Tim's head. I think it was 4000 bucks to kill Tim. And it was an eight-year-old with an AK who came to collect. That's not funny, but that's, that's absurd. It's not funny. Yeah, no. Tim basically very nearly went weapon up on an eight-year-old and thankfully the eight-year-old flinched before Tim had to shoot him in the head. That's how bad Sierra Leone is. So... To my mind, part of what is critical to governing a divided land is getting people to recognise if they continue down the divided path, it is a path to ruin. Like Sierra Leone was ruined and decided not to get worse. At the end of the day, most Americans can be in their little tribe, their little camp, their little political faction, hate everyone else and still live a pretty comfy life. So they can stay in their bubble because their bubble appears to be sustainable without realising that all these bubbles smashing into each other are destructive to society as a whole. Like, you know, how many black deaths have we had this year in America that were meant to be the one that would make a difference? (laughs) Mm. We're up to 184,000 cases of COVID a day. Worst day in the last week. Not per day. So over 100,000 per day. Yeah. Let's not oversell it. 184,000 in a day is still horrific. How are we at the point where a country that prides itself on how many people 
get an education that makes them a rounded citizen, that all that rubs off and they go back to only paying attention to media that supports one nasty view or one progressive view that doesn't leave room for everyone else. Are we dealing over there with a a cultural monster that we haven't seen before where generally something like COVID-19 or something like Black Lives Matter brings a country together, brings people together because people go, we have to do something about this, but it's done the exact opposite Mm -hmm. and has torn the country apart. There's a bigger gap between both ideologies now than what there was 12 months ago, two years ago. Yeah, I think it can be summed up in a couple of sentences and it is, I'm not saying this is me, I'm saying this is a way to build the sentence. I don't believe we can fix this. So I'm going to get band together with people like me and we're going to look after ourselves as a small group of similar people. So rather than the individualism uh. going, if I contribute to the greater good, we can change this. It's no, I will band together with people like me and we as a small group will take from another small group or steamroll another small group. So it's, it's actually all of this radicalization can be summed up in some ways as an acceptance that we couldn't make things better if we tried. Precisely. That is the terrible thing that Mm. no one in America wants to say, that the broad we of society as a whole has become meaningless for too many people. And that's terrifying. When you don't go, we all together are citizens of a liberal democracy with an outstanding health system, education system by the standards of the world as a whole. Again, American education system you know, under delivers for the amount of money spent. Its healthcare system under delivers for the amount of money spent. Mm. But compared to Sierra Leone, <laughs> it's still astounding. But how many Americans have got to the point of saying, I don't believe that we as a country can fix this together. And instead of going, I'm just going to work with people like me and we as a narrowly defined group of affinity will take from any other group to be okay because we matter more than they do. The terrible thing is I'm having to use the word we in a big and a small sense. I wish I had an additional word. But this is how deep the problem is. And it's not like Biden won in a landslide where he can say, well, I'm going to I'm going to bring all these people together and a majority of the country is going to be on board with me. It's a couple of million people. Yeah, Even if, if his half goes, way. yes, I'm in, yeah. there's the just as many people the, nearly yeah, on the other side. Going, we don't want to borrow this. So suddenly this idea of bridging social capital, how to bring people who are different together, it's not just a, a soft social sciences idea. It's been tested in counterinsurgency. It's been tested in nation building. It's essentially been put together by a young army officer who became the leader of a country, stepped away, helped rebuild democracy, went back, won as president in a democratic fair way. Mm -hmm. What he's doing is bridging social capital. So if a Harvard student who becomes a colonel can do this, if a young soldier in Africa who becomes almost a dictator but chooses not to, who goes back and becomes a democratic president, can see the power of bridging social capital, that you have to overemphasise the continuities and work on building the collective we. So this idea that Biden can get on with policy about the world, can he really? 
if he doesn't address the collective we of Americans as a whole in a meaningful way that transcends being a party muppet. Wasn't well, that what his speech was about? I'm, I'm confused now. Are you saying that he should just get on with policy? Or are you saying well, no, that? I'm saying he should absolutely do you know, the minimum of external policy he has to. Focus on what building the collective we means. Going, this is a time to heal. Mm. No, dude, you've essentially just waffled shit like that for two weeks. Mm-hmm. How? Right, okay. And not being rude, if you stood up to be president at the moment in America and you didn't know how and you don't already have the policy document for how, what's going on? Do people even believe that he can? Like, was it just... Yeah, but this is the danger of the we is collapsing. Do they believe they can come together as a big collective we, America as a whole? Well, there's a lot in the way of that happening, right? Even if you were to say that... Is there any more than in Sierra Leone? Yeah, I guess not. I mean, it, you, you, you're talking about a completely, uh, I guess in some ways, collapsed society. As, yeah. as, as what, America's as as got what, wealth, but is it socially cohesive? Mm. Is America actually in a strange form of social collapse where because of the amount of wealth and the amount of infrastructure, again, the machine chugs along with complicity and complacency. But th- these waves that I guess that people are having to swim against, right, are monstrous. They're huge. So let's get the language out there for bridging social capital yeah. during this transition. Let's go, okay, what's Trump saying? I was cheated. You all lied. Well, the point is 72 people, million people believe him mm. or at least they're willing to give them the benefit. Where's the language that says this is how we build bridging social capital? This is what we need to do in every small town. This is what we need to do in every city. This is what we need to do at every college. Uh, well, let's say that that is okay. So take take that point. This is the best way to attack the monumental challenges that that America faces. How do we get to a position where we can even start? Because that in itself is a challenge, right? To get to a position where we can even have that language. Mm, but to just say we need to heal, unacceptable. Totally. But what do we do? Is it, is it like Jordan Peterson talks about where don't even try and start to fix the big world problems until yeah. you tidy your room? Like mm. unless, unless you're going to be able to get – unless you're going to be able to build that social capital in your street, mm. what makes you think you're going to be able to build it mm. on, on a global – or well, I suppose a national but where's, scale? Where's the model from the Democratic mm. Party to start doing it? Because so it starts in communities. For that, right? that's yeah. the, you just well, – that's what you have to be asking for, I yeah. guess. Yeah, like surely a president who's gained power in this time frame, who is actually about bringing America back together rather than being a billionaire who dominates and laughs at the fact that people are stupid enough to listen to his shit. (laughs) Mm. If you're actually the president who's the opposite to Trump and you don't have the plan for grassroots social capital building, what have you been doing for the last four years? So we talked about some of these countries that were in cultural ruin. Where what, where in the world do we hold up as exemplars? Like where is what what countries have a high social capital perhaps? New Zealand. Yeah, New Zealand's New Zealand. very high. Canada's pretty damn good. So those Scandinavian countries yeah. like Finland yeah, and very Sweden. high. And again, the thing is that often in homogeneous societies have more in common so social capital is easier. So they're high in bonding. But examples like Canada and New Zealand and more and more Singapore are great because you get bridging social capital within a multicultural society. So they're really your models. Mm. And in the main, big things that contribute is 
you know, equality of opportunity, not necessarily outcome, meritocratic systems, inclusive, better distribution of resources. So lots of things we can see. But how can we have a new president who has had four years to work on this shit and just says we're going to heal? Is, is it easier as well in a, in a country that has a, a smaller population? Yeah, again, like I've, yeah. you look at it here in Australia, I don't know, we're probably going okay. No, but we're following, we're lagging. Yeah, we're lagging, lagging behind. Yeah. You know, Putnam was saying in 2011 Australia was five years behind the US. Yeah, maybe like 10. But, but I suppose I, I have been to, I've been to Melbourne, I've been to Brisbane, I've been to Sydney, I've got family, friends in those, those cities. So to some extent I care about what is happening interstate, but in a country as big as the US, mm. why would you care about a place you've never even been to? But this so is why the solution has to be local. Yeah, yeah. But at the moment there is such, and what we can see from the election is the division is not state by state, it's street by street. It's mm. household by household. So it is at the fundamental level of rebuilding relationships within small community that you need to start working on bridging social capital. Well, that makes sense. So four years of practice at this. Obama was meant to be speaking for the progressive left. The progressive left gave you know, Robert Putnam the most important intellectual medal in America. Well done. Acknowledging Robert's amazing. Did you take it on board? Doesn't see any evidence at the moment. Robert's best student who's equipped to help with this, who didn't get into Congress in 2018. Is he on anyone's list to put him in? I don't understand. How can you possibly say that you've comprehended something if you don't therefore see the value in incorporating it into... Yeah, so it makes Obama, either he got it, but his administration didn't, or yeah. more importantly, the party can't. Yeah. But either way, how can you give out the prize, recognise this is what is necessary, and then not act? Well, it makes for a good headline, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And then we get to this point here and no one remembers it even happened. Yeah. No. And, okay, listeners, we're going around in a circle and not getting an answer today, but we thought it was important to get this episode out because we're now reading Putnam's new book, The Upswing, about how America between the 1890s and 1960s became more equal, became more inclusive, reduced wealth disparity, how it essentially had what they call in the book the Great Convergence until mm. the 1960s and began the Great Divergence from the 1970s of back to being more unequal. The summation in the book is that the US went from I to we and has gone back to I. But the point in the second half of the book is if it went from I to we once, guess what? It can be done again. And out of reading this book, we'll probably see lots of parallels in lots of other Western liberal democracies, like for example, Australia. So in a few weeks, we'll hopefully be able to give you a much better answer to how you build bridging social capital. But I wanted you to be thinking about the fact that the media coming out of the Biden camp, the media coming out of the supposed sophisticated progressive American press, the media coming out of the Democratic Party is saying nothing, mm. is adding nothing. When the path forward is quite clear and was clearly made sense to Obama, even if it didn't make sense to the party. And if it made sense to Obama, did it make sense to Biden? And if it made sense to him, and he had four years to have people who've studied with Robert Putnam, worked with Robert Putnam, applied his ideas in war zones, applied his ideas in social science. Four years to put that into practice. And what meaningful policy statement do we have about building, bridging social capital to reconnect a divided nation? Nothing so far. And to me, that's pretty unimpressive. Well, I guess that's an invitation for the audience to 
read the book along with us. Uh, you've got a few weeks, I suppose. Yep. And we'd love to hear questions as well, especially if you get through it. And even if you could propose something, we'd be happy to you consider send the that. questions in so we, at least we can add them to our list of questions we come up with from reading the book. And I think we will talk about the book first and then maybe try and reach out to Robert's co-author, mm. who was one of his best students from the 90s. Because having talked to Robert live in 2011, he's an incredibly articulate writer. But he thinks so long before he says a sentence that I get a desire to go have a coffee and a brownie. Holy cow, yeah. And I guess not just not just how we can implement this on a grand scale, but how you actually go about this mm. day, day to day. Yep, yeah. At a micro level of your own community. Well, thank you very much, Luke. Thank you. And thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you, audience. Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe and like our Facebook page. Search for Blind Insights with David Olney. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the Ozcast Network. Peace out.